Okay, I've said it once, I'll say it again. Good morning. <laughs> That's like a third time you've heard someone greet you. Hopefully you've been greeted a bunch of times. I uh, love that baptism video. And uh, Jeremy Sides put that together and did an awesome job of doing that. And uh, he snuck up and got me by putting my daughter at the end, just to <laughs> sneak up and get me with that one. But um, so glad you're here today. We are talking about baptism today. And baptism in this series, we're finishing up our L Word series today. We'll start a new series next week called Summer Stories. And it's going to be a cool series, by the way. You're going to hear from a different person or couple every single week in that series. We're going to have people coming up on stage from our church to share their stories and share their testimony and talking through those. And so it's going to be a great time through the summer doing that. You're going to get to know them, but also be encouraged by them, ministered to by them, and also hear from someone other than me. And that's, so I'm sure that will be welcome as well. But today we're finishing up the L word with the ultimate statement of love. We're going to talk about baptism. I actually had the opportunity, I'm going to hard transition this for a second, but um, uh, my wife and kids are in New York right now. I was up there earlier this week and uh, spent some time with my family, but then I flew back on Thursday night and she drove with the kids to see her family. So she's spending some time with her family and probably watching us online right now, by the way. Hey, how you doing? Hope you're doing well. And uh, spending some time with the family and they, uh, it's a funny story, okay, because sometimes when you spend time with your family, and you, you probably know this is true, when you grow up in a family, you end up with things inside of your family that are totally normal, but it's not until you get outside of your family that you realize, no, this is actually weird, <laughs> all right? This is actually really weird, and other people don't do this. One of the best examples for me um, happened just a few years ago, and some of you might know this because some of you might have commented on my wife's Facebook post about it several years ago. But my wife and I were sitting in the living room at our house and I saw her snapping and I realized that she was snapping with her middle finger. And I was like, whoa, what are you doing? She said, I'm snapping. I, I said, I know you're snapping. Why are you using your middle finger? She's like, um, because that's what normal people do. She's like, what finger do you use? I said, I use my ring finger. I've always snapped with my, everybody snaps with their ring finger. She's like, no, everybody does not snap with their ring finger. They snap with their middle finger. And I was like, no, I pro, every, uh, that's how I was taught to snap. That's how everybody snaps. And I was trying to explain the physics of it and how you could get more pressure by doing it with your ring finger. And so I'm trying to explain the whole thing. She's like, no, 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 we'll settle this. And so she does a Facebook post. That's why I said some of you commented on it. And she says, which finger do you snap with? It got like 350 comments or something ridiculous. And as it turns out, Snapping with your ring finger is not normal. I didn't know that until just a few years ago, and nobody ever told me. I mean, at the time, we'd been married 15 years. I'd never even noticed that we snapped with different fingers. And every single person on that Facebook post said that they snapped with their middle finger. I couldn't believe it. Oh, except there was one person. There was one person who snapped with their ring finger. It was my sister. <laughs> so, and I found out that I believe it's my mother that also snaps with her ring finger and taught us to snap with our ring fingers. And so that's what we grew up with. We thought it was totally normal. Turns out, not normal. And I was like, why didn't we snap with our middle finger? Maybe it's because we were conservative. We didn't want to use that finger for anything. So I don't know. But, but snap with my ring fingers. You, you realize these things are weird, right? And even within church, like we have things that become very normal to us that are not normal to everyday people that are very, very weird for them to look at. Funny story that just happened yesterday, by the way. 
I don't know if my wife has posted about this yet. I'm sure she will at some point, all right? But yesterday, all the family is hanging out up there in New York. My, my sister and her two sisters and their families and the grandkids and the cousins and all these people, right? They're all hanging out and they're all planning to go to church together this morning at the church that my sister and her family grew up in. It's a church that my wife and I got married in too. They're all going to that church this weekend. But my brother-in-law realized that there was a problem. They weren't all going to fit in the pew, Okay, they have a pew that they grew up sitting in. It was always the same pew every single year, every single week. It was their pew. All right, so they're trying to figure out how they're going to organize themselves, who's going to sit in what pew. That's a big deal. You know, that's a big deal, right? And all of a sudden, my oldest son, JD, who's 12 years old, says, Hey, mom, what's a pew? I was like, oh, yeah, he doesn't know. He wouldn't know. I don't know why he would know. He's, he's never been in a church that had pews. I was like, oh, my, Christians, like, and they kind of gave him a hard time for a little while, but then I think they told him. But, like, in churches, we, we have a different name for a bench, right? It's a bench, but we call it a pew. We have our own language, our own terminology, all these things that we do that are not necessarily, uh, you know, like self-evident or obvious. you got to explain it to people, something like communion. Right? Communion, really normal for us as Christians. But you think about that for a second. It's a group of people in the same room together or standing around in a circle who all grab an itty-bitty tiny piece of bread and an itty-bitty glass of juice or whatever, and they all eat it at the same time. They pray, and then they all eat it at the same time. And then they all pray, and then they all drink it at the same time. It's a little weird when you think about it from the outside looking in. But once you understand the symbolism of it and it becomes a part of your life, it's perfectly normal. Well, today, we're going to be doing baptism after the service. I would invite any or all of you to come to our baptism service afterward. Ryan told you that there's directions out at the, uh, the Resource Center. All right, we're all going to go over there. Don't feel weird about coming. It's going to be fun. We're going to have snacks and drinks and other things there. We'll all hang out at the Ebersold's pool. We'll do the baptisms, and it's going to be awesome. But I understand that baptism is a little bit of a weird thing. We take somebody down into water, we say some things, and then we take them and lower them under the water and raise them back out. Like, you don't do that anywhere else in our culture. So it's weird. It's strange. And so we need to talk about what it means so we understand what we're doing and whether it's something that we're supposed to do. And now, the the Bible doesn't spend a lot of time explaining baptism, not a lot of time, but that's partly because to people in that day, in that culture, it wasn't weird at all. They were used to this. This is something that people did all over the place for a lot of different reasons. Like even within Judaism, they would do, uh, they would do ceremonial baptisms. They would be cleansings or they would be statements of repentance. Sometimes they did them in baptismal pools, kind of like we might have in a church that wasn't a children's theater, <laughs> you know? Like you might have a baptismal pool. They call that a mikveh. It's a, a pool of water, and they would do some baptisms like that. Some baptisms they would do required what they called living water, which makes some things you read in the New Testament make more sense, by the way. Living water is a spring or a well. It's somewhere that water comes up out of the source, out of the ground. And so some baptisms were 
reserved for living water. So this is something people were very accustomed to, and it was totally normal for them. If you converted to a new religion, you would get baptized. That was part of the whole deal. You didn't have to explain it to people. But today, because baptism is such an odd thing, particularly outside of the church, we need to spend some time talking about it so we all understand what it is. Because even within Christianity, the realm of Christianity, other churches, other denominations, other parts of the world, baptism is done differently and understood differently. And so now there are all these ideas out there. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about where baptism comes from, why we should do it, and what it means. Okay? In order to do that, we are going to go to perhaps the most significant baptism of all time, Jesus. All right? There was this one guy uh, who is a, a Jewish man who was like the king of baptizing. His name was, anybody want to guess his name? The king of baptizing. John, that's right, yeah, yeah. So much so, it just got attached to his name. That's just what we call him, John the Baptist. At that time, they might have called him John the Baptizer, which makes a little more sense. But John was out in the wilderness, and he's Jesus' cousin, okay? He's the one who was born shortly before Jesus to Elizabeth, who's Mary's cousin. All right, so John is in the, the wilderness, and he's saying to everyone, hey, the Messiah is coming. One is coming who is preferred before me, who is greater than me. There's some people that thought that John was the Messiah. He's like, no, 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 it's not me. He's coming. I'm getting ready for him. I'm preparing the way, and I'm going to know him when I see him. And so John is out in the wilderness, and he's baptizing people. But it's not baptism like we might think of today, at least symbolically. It was a baptism of repentance. So you'd go out to John. If you wanted to repent of your sins, he would baptize you and you would be cleansed of your sins. That was the deal. And so John is out doing his thing one day when Jesus shows up. All right. We read about it in Matthew chapter 3. All right. So let's take a look there. Matthew chapter 3. All right. Matthew chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 13. Before, before this, before 13, it's telling us about John and about what he's doing and what's going on, kind of what I just uh, went through with you just now. I'm uh, just treading water for a second, giving everyone time to get there if you have a print Bible. Okay, Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan, that's a river, at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And Jesus at this point is maybe 30 years old or so. And up until this point, it's important to note, Jesus has not done anything significantly noteworthy in his life. The only thing we get in the Gospels about Jesus before age 30 is his birth. And then one story about him when he's like maybe 12 years old. But other than that, he hasn't done anything so far that has been written down. And so Jesus, of course, is without sin, He's the son of God, and he's without sin, and so he's been perfect, and John certainly knows that because he knows his cousin, but he has not yet done any significant miracles or anything that we know of. All right, so he shows up about 30 years old to be baptized by John. Verse 14, and John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? So, John knows Jesus because he's related to him, but John is doing a baptism of repentance and he sees Jesus coming and he's like, hey, Jesus, like, this is just a swim for you at that point because I, you don't need to repent of anything. So why would you come baptize me? I should be, you, or why would I baptize you? You should be baptizing me. Verse 15, 
But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. So John baptized Jesus. So Jesus did not have to be baptized. Okay? He had no sin to repent of. But he looks at John and he says, no, I have to be baptized. I have to be baptized. Well, why? He said it was so that we could fulfill all righteousness. I think it's interesting that he says we, and not so I can fulfill all righteousness. He's speaking in the collective. He says, so we can fulfill all righteousness. He said, I have to do this. And why does he have to do it? Because God wants him to do it. Because that's part of the plan. Because he's supposed to do it. And so to be unfaithful to that would be sin for him. So he had to be baptized in his case to prevent himself from sinning in order to start what God was about to do. He was the son of God. He always had been. He didn't need to be baptized for salvation. That's not what it's for. It wasn't that he was getting baptized and he was getting saved and he was getting forgiven of his sins. He was the son of God. He always had been. He had no sin to be forgiven for. But in order to be righteous, he had to do it. Baptism was required for him. Now, why? What's so significant about this? Let's keep reading. Verse 16. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my Son, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Why did Jesus need to be baptized? This is the moment. This is the moment that begins Jesus' recorded history. The story of Jesus teaching, the story of Jesus healing, the story of Jesus loving starts right here at this moment. After 30 years of silence, we get this moment and all of it begins. And I think it's important that, that we see that in this moment, we get to see the Trinity in one place at one time. We see Jesus Christ, we see the Spirit descend, and we hear the voice of the Father all at the same time, one place, one time, all right? And John has a realization, along with everybody else who's there, that they had not had until that point, until he was baptized, all right? Now, I'm going to read from the Gospel of John, and don't get confused because these are different Johns, okay? There's two Johns, that were two significant Johns in the Bible. You got John the baptizer and you have John the apostle. John the apostle writes this gospel, but he's talking about John the Baptist, all right? That's one of the things, by the way, to me that lends credibility to the Bible. Like if you were making this stuff up, you wouldn't give so many people the same name. It just doesn't make any sense at all. It's too confusing. It's not what you do in stories. You give people different names, but they're real guys and there's lots of Johns. Trust me, I changed my name at Starbucks to Douglas just because there are so many Johns out there. So anyway, it's funny. I went to, sorry, side note. I went to the drive-thru this morning. I got Starbucks on the way in today. I always get it before coming into church. And I was on the way in and I, she said, you know, Douglas, so she handed it to me and she's like, she looked at me like, the cup says Douglas, but you're John. Like, <laughs> like she, I know I changed it. Anyway, lots of Johns. There's lots of Johns here too. So anyway, uh, John the Apostle, writing about John the Baptist. That was a long way around to get to one point. Okay, John chapter one, verse 32. 
And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So here's here's the point. Before this moment, even his own cousin, John the Baptist, did not know that Jesus was the Son of God. He knew he was sinless. Apparently, Mary and Joseph, they didn't let the cat out of the bag about what was going on. But he said, I didn't know that he was the Son of God until I saw the Spirit descending upon him because I heard that that was going to be the sign. Until Jesus was baptized publicly, he was not publicly identified as the Son of God. And until he was publicly identified as the Son of God, he couldn't begin the ministry that God had planned for him. That was the first step in his ministry was public identification with his Father. Okay? Jesus' baptism was his public identification as the Son of God. He didn't have to be baptized for repentance. Didn't save him, anything like that. He'd always been the Son of God. But baptism showed everybody who he already was. Baptism showed everybody who he already was. And it wasn't until he did that that he was ready for his ministry. That's why he had to be baptized. It was a public statement a public statement of who he was. Why would we be baptized? For exactly the same reason. We are baptized. Baptism is our public identification as a child of God. And we should public, if we have put our faith and trust for salvation in Jesus, and that's how it works, by the way, you are saved not by your own works, not by anything you do, but by the grace of God, given when we believe in Jesus, his substitution for us on the cross, paying for our sin on the cross, and rising again. Right? We, we put our faith in Jesus. By God's grace, he saves us. And the next thing he wants us to do, we become a child of God, but the next thing he wants us to do is publicly identify as who we are. That's what baptism is for. It's not the washing away of your sins. It's not the baptism of repentance that John the Baptist was doing. It's not salvation. It is a public statement of who you already are. And it should come first. It should be the first thing you do if you put your faith in Jesus. Right away, if possible. There's no reason to wait. You don't have to be ready. You don't have to prepare. You don't have to be to a certain level of holiness before you get baptized. There's nothing that would prevent you from being baptized if you've never done that before. As long as you put your faith in Jesus. It's just important that you understand what you're doing. Okay, that's one of the reasons we don't do child baptisms, baby baptisms at our church. We do child dedication, right, which is what we did just a few weeks ago where parents come up and make a commitment because when you get a baby baptized, well, that's a commitment by the parents. The baby isn't making a decision, is it? So that's why with, even with children, we'll talk to them and make sure they understand what they're doing in baptism because if they don't understand what they're doing, then it's just going for a swim because mom and dad want you to, okay? So we want to make sure that they understand that it's a symbol, that when we are baptized, we are identifying ourselves with Christ. It's a public declaration, and it symbolizes a couple of things. When you're lowered into the water, it symbolizes that you believed in Christ's death, 
And when you're raised back out, it symbolizes that you believed in Christ's resurrection. So you're saying, yes, I believe that when that happens. But it's also a symbol of, of you and what's changing in your life and the commitment that you've made because when you go under the water, it's a symbol that your old nature is dying, that the old you is dead, and that a new you is, is rising up. And there's nothing magical or mystical that happens, but there is something spiritual that happens when you're baptized. Because it's you making a declaration and an affirmation with your father, and he is pleased with that. And so there's, a, there's like a barrier that's removed between you when you get baptized. And I don't know how to describe that. It's not weird or mystical, but I, all I know, because I remember getting baptized, and I've baptized so many people who have told me the same thing. There's something about it where when you come back up out of the water, you just feel freer. You feel freer because, because you've done what God wants you to do. And because you know that there is no concern between the two of you, you have publicly identified with him. I've often heard baptism, an analogy for baptism being a wedding ring, right? I wear this ring. I can't even take, I mean, I can take it off. I lost a little bit of weight, so I can take it off now. But even if I took it off, you would still know I were married because of the tan line. Like, there's no, and there's like an indention in my finger forever. So even if I weren't wearing the ring, you would still know. Um, but this wedding ring is, is not my relationship with my wife, right? It's not marriage. In fact, you, you seal your marriage uh, even before the rings go on. Uh, this, the marriage is sealed at the statement of intent, by the way, legally. <laughs> That's the only thing you actually need for a wedding, uh, just to say, I do, because you have to both be there willingly. But anyway, uh, the, the wedding ring is not my marriage to my wife, right? But it's a symbol. This tells every single person who looks at me and is wondering, is he committed to someone? There you go. Yes, I am. Back off. You know, that's what that means. Stay away. Right? It's a sweet ring. I think it cost 50 bucks. It's awesome. And I didn't pay much for it because I thought I would lose it. And here I am 18 years later with the same ring. Right? This is not our wedding. This is not our, our, our marriage. It's not our relationship, but it is a symbol of our relationship. And it's very important. It's very important to me that I wear this all the time. And so I actually never take this off. I don't know. In 18 years, I'm probably taking it off only to fiddle with it and spin it. But that's about it. Baptism is, it's not a perfect analogy, but baptism is similar. It is not our relationship with God. You can have a relationship with God without being baptized. You can be forgiven of your sins without being baptized. But if you aren't willing to put on the ring, how close is that relationship ever going to be? Some of you might be wondering why you feel distant from God or why you don't feel like you're in his close fellowship, why you can't hear from him the way you want to hear from him. And the reason is because you've never been baptized. And so he's waiting on you. He's waiting on you to do what he's asked you to do and publicly identify yourself with him. And so maybe you've never been baptized before and you've been coming up with all kinds of reasons why you shouldn't do it or won't do it or can't do it or whatever. Pitch them all. People won't ask, what do I have to do to get ready to be baptized? You have to believe in Jesus. Do you believe in Jesus? And that's it. That's the next thing, get baptized. And so you can do that today if you want to. We have plenty of towels, all right? We have 20 towels over there. So only 20 people can get baptized. After that, we'll just cut it off. But, you know, I'm just kidding. If you want to get baptized today, you can come get baptized. It'll be awesome. It'll be fantastic. If you, want to, if you want to talk to some people, if there's some people specifically you want to see that and witness that because it is a public statement and you want them to be a part of that, that's awesome. All right, we're going to do another one in September, or we can go do it anytime. i got a good relationship with the YMCA. I'll call them up. We'll just go down there. We'll do it. You get whoever you want to be there. I'll call some people up. I'll get some people there. We'll all be there, and we'll do it at the Y, like on Wednesday if you want to. 
Like, we'll work that out. But if, if you've never been baptized before, that's your next thing to do. So that you can publicly identify as a child of God the same way that Jesus publicly identified as the Son of God to begin his ministry. So I want to strongly encourage you to do that. It really is something like something new happens. Like we're like, man, the old me is gone. It's just dead. And the new me's here. Hi, everyone. I'm here. It's the new me walking in the Spirit. Paul puts it this way. He's talking about baptism and faith in Romans chapter 6. And he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? He's talking about what to, you know, how, how to live our lives and to be holy. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. He's saying, no, don't walk in sin. You remember when you were baptized? Remember how we were baptized together? A lot of them together. Remember how we were baptized? We were baptized and we said, no, the old me's dead and the new me's here. So walk like the new me, not like the old me. He's drawing them back to that moment. He's using that as a reference point for them. And he says, for if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. One of the things I love, the way Paul is saying this right here is that he's saying not only were you baptized then and you, the old you died and the new you came forward and publicly identified, not only that and you got to walk in that, but he said, he said we've been united together in the likeness of his death. That because I've done this and you've done this, because we've done this all together, we're walking in this thing together. We were buried together. So it's a, it's, a, it's a community thing that happens, not just an individual thing that happens. We were buried together. And so even today, as you watch other people be baptized, maybe you, if you've been baptized, you'll be thinking back to yours. Thinking back to yours and saying, I was too. I was too. I made that same statement. I made that same declaration. We're in this thing together. And said, we're, we'll be uh, joined in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing that our old man Continuing in verse 6, knowing that this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we shall no longer or should no longer be slaves of sin. Baptism is a little, it's a little bit like your spiritual emergence. It's like you just stepping forward and stepping out into the light. And if you haven't done it, God is waiting for you to do it. Now, in the New Testament, people did it right away, almost always right at the same moment, if it were possible, because they understood it. It was, it was totally not a weird thing to them. And I understand for us, it takes some explanation and sometimes some conversation because of the different things that are going on out there. So if you have questions about baptism or your history or something you've learned or taught, I would love to be able to talk to you about that. I'll just point you back to the scriptures and what they have to say about that. Um, might take a little bit of learning, but uh, I hope you are informed today. And let me just speak on the behalf of so many people who've been baptized. It, is a, it really is a transformative experience. Don't let anything hold you back from doing what God wants you to do. It's a simple thing. It's a beautiful thing. And it's a step of faithfulness. And so whatever fear might be holding you back, if you haven't been baptized, whatever concern or question, don't let it stand in your way or don't let it linger. If you have to ask the question, ask the question. If you have to express the fear, express the fear. Okay. I once baptized a woman who came up to me before the service, and she said, I got to tell you something. What? She said, I want to be baptized, but I am deathly afraid of water. And I was like, okay, all right, that's fine. I'm glad you're willing to do it. She's like, no, I will fight you. 
Okay. She's like, yeah. So like when I get up there to get baptized, no matter how hard I struggle, no matter how hard I fight, I want you to put me under. (laughs) I was like, so first off, you know how bad that's going to look, right? (laughs) So I'm going to need you to go ahead and tell everyone that before it actually happens so that they don't think something weird is happening, okay? And so sure enough, she got up there, she told everyone exactly, and she said, no matter how hard I fight, I told him to get me under. And I was like, here we go. And it was like, I mean, it was like trying to put a cat in a bathtub, okay? <laughs> but we, we got her under and back out, and she was so thankful that she did it. So I don't know what your excuse is, but forget it. Put it aside, all right? That's your next step. And I, and I love it because so many of you I know have been baptized, whether that's whether it's been through this church or been somewhere else, it, it doesn't matter. But um, it is such a beautiful thing to be able to see and experience and know that people are putting their faith on display for everyone who's there. So I want to encourage you, even if you're not being baptized, to come and celebrate with us today. It really is going to be incredible. All right. So I, want to, I want to say a prayer. I'm going to ask God to bless the time that we've spent today, but also to bless the time that we're about to spend together at the baptism and everyone who's making that choice. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love, for the sacrifice of Christ, a gift of mercy and grace, totally undeserved on our behalf. We've not done anything to earn that, but you still gave your son. Christ, we thank you so much that you gave your life on the cross for us, paying for our sin, taking our place, doing what we couldn't do, doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, paying for our sin, forgiving us, and for rising again to prove that you're not just any man, you're the son of God. You are who you said you were. You have power over sin and you have power over life and death. And if you say you can forgive us, then you can. And if you say that you're gonna give us life, then you will. There's so many of us in the room, God, that have believed that and trust in you for salvation. And maybe someone today for the first time would believe that and say, yep, I believe God, I pray for anybody in the room who's put their faith in Jesus but has not yet been baptized. Whatever it is that's caused that, remove it, God. Move them in the Spirit to do what you've asked them to do. Jesus, what you've modeled for them. To be baptized and publicly identified with you as, their, as your child. Give them the boldness to do that. Or to ask the question or have the discussion, whatever it is they need. God, today as we prepare to go and join uh, each other at the, uh, at the baptism, the people that we already have signed up and anybody else that's going to join them today by their decision, God, I pray that you, you bless this. I know you will. You've been looking forward to this day when they would publicly identify in front of all of us as witnesses, as your child. It's a beautiful, beautiful moment. And so we thank you for it. We thank you for the symbol not only that we get to see in front of our eyes today, but that we can recollect back to if we've been baptized and remember when it happened with us as well. And remember, that was the moment we came forward and we said, we are with you. And so God, I pray that you use this not only to draw us individually closer to you, but that you also use this to draw us closer together in fellowship as a church family. We celebrate and encourage each other as we walk this journey together in faithfulness to you. And pray that everything that we do today, whether it's together as a group or individually, would bring you honor and glory above ourselves. We thank you for it. It's in your name we pray. Amen.